You are listening to Uncommentary. So I want to talk to you about one of my favorite bookstores. Hearts and Minds Books is located in Pennsylvania. I've never been there, but I met the owner, Byron Borger, online, I think via Twitter. And um, I want to tell you why I use Hearts and Minds as often as I can. Uh, First, I'm a huge fan of independent booksellers. Uh, You know as well as I that when the great behemoth Amazon finally uh, began its quest to take over the world, um, that it is easy to order from Amazon, have the books delivered directly to your door. Uh, But over the course of several years, as Amazon was growing, a lot of independent booksellers, mom-and-pop type shops, uh, they really suffered, and many of them went out of business. Well, there's been a resurgence, and I'm really glad about that. Uh, And one of my favorites is Hearts and Minds Minds Books. And so if you'll go to heartsandmindsbooks.com, now this is what's simple about it. You're not going to see an inventory page. You're not going to see – you don't shop on heartsandmindsbooks.com in the way that you would at, say, barnesandnoble.com. Um, basically go to the inquiry page, uh, and you can send a message to Byron and ask, is a certain book available? Now they have hundreds of thousands of titles they can get, but that's where you start. Um, then you can go to the order page and you literally type in the name of the book that you want and the author, whether you want hardback or paperback, uh, and they'll respond to you and let you know what the availability is. Uh, how much shipping is going to be for your shipping options. Uh, And you say, well, doesn't that take a little bit of extra time? It does take a little bit of extra time. So if you need your book tomorrow, this may not be the route that you want to go, although they can ship overnight. But when you know you have some books coming up, whether they're textbooks or whether there's some other books, unless it's a special order or a self-published type of title that are harder to get, uh, if it's a normal book, uh, they can probably locate it for you. So you can go to the inquiry form and ask. Then you go to the order form and type in the information and uh, respond to all the information they ask for, and uh, they'll get back with you. And if you mention uncommentary in the uh, order blank, then uh, you'll get 20% off any title. You can also subscribe to the book notes where they feature several books uh, in each note with reviews, and you can order those through books and uh, heartsandminds.com as well. Uh, but I really encourage you to check them out, especially if, um, if only 10% of your book orders uh, you switch over to, to them. That'll be huge for them, and it won't cost you that much more. Uh, and I'm trying to do at least that. And so I encourage you, heartsandminds.com, and mention Uncommentary Podcast for a 20% discount on most items, and they'll let you know when it applies. There's almost no subject in church life that's more um, controversial than the, quote, role of women, unquote, in the home and in church. Uh, So I'm really happy to be talking to a female theologian uh, as an earned PhD uh, about females, males, uh, gender roles and responsibilities. What, what does all this mean from any kind of um, like more conservative Christian perspective? The interesting thing uh, about my guest today is that she is a professor in a Southern Baptist institution of higher learning, uh, which is, she says is not as anomalous as I think it is, and so I'm going to take her word for it. But for me, it seems like an anomaly. Uh, Southern Baptists are generally thought of as not supportive of women in ministry-type roles uh, and so are not as supportive as some other denominations. And so I wanted to get her take on this. This is going to be Dr. Katie McCoy. Um, so if you think about um, – if you're on Twitter at all, then you're well aware of some of the uh, broad-ranging 
discussions and debates uh, having to do with um, what it's appropriate for uh, women to do, uh, how gender affects uh, life uh, beyond the church and beyond uh, roles in the church and responsibilities in the church. Um, the tra- how, how does transgenderism uh, play into uh, a theological framework? Um, and, and a lot of these questions we're going to talk about today, but it all plays back into the differences uh, between men and women. Are they substantial? Are they narrow? Uh, how do we uh, how do we function together in the home and outside the home? Um, what was God's original intent? Uh, did did God originally intend? For things to be so difficult, or did he intend for uh, humans, men and women, uh, to relate to each other in ways that we don't always think about or talk about? So um, I'm really excited about this episode. Um, I, I, it's not as super controversial as some of you might hope that it would be, but I do think that is really, really informative, and I thank you for listening. Dr. Katie McCoy, welcome to Uncommentary. Hey, Marty. Thanks for having me. Um, and she is a professor of What's your, what are you, theology? <laughs> theology and women's studies. Theology, I told you I lost your bio, sorry. Uh, at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. So um, why don't you, since I have no biographical material, why don't you like just tell everybody how awesome you are and where you went to school and all those <laughs> kinds of things? So I uh, am a two-time graduate of Southwestern. I graduated with my MDiv in women's studies in 2011. And then I rolled right into PhD work, and uh, my supervisor was Malcolm Yarnell, oh, who Malcolm. remains one of the the strongest theological influences in my life. I graduated in 2016, so there's only about one more year that I can say about being a professor that I'm new at this. I've been oh. pleading that for as long as I can, yeah. um, but I think probably after five years, I won't be able to anymore. <laughs> so I um, I wrote my dissertation on something I still love deeply. It's on the Old Testament laws about women, specifically how women's bodies were treated. Oh, wow. Um, and and comparing that to other ancient Near Eastern legal codes is pretty remarkable. So you have people who, you, we couldn't call them evangelical by any stretch of the imagination, identifying Deuteronomy as progressive, like politically progressive. And how okay, do what? these Okay, hang on, hang on like just that. one second. <laughs> Who who was using that terminology? Oh, his last name's Otto, O T T O. I think it's Eckhart Otto. Um, he was, th- he was in Die Hard, right? Yes, that one. <laughs> Please edit that out. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, so, okay, so there's two strains of people talking about women in the Old Testament law. There are um, Jewish scholars, okay. generally, and then there's feminist scholars. Feminist scholars look at it and say, look how oppressive the Bible is to women. It just proves the, the patriarchal uh, slant and how we have to deliver the Bible from its own culture, etc. And then you have Jewish scholars who are looking at, at it saying, no, you don't, you don't understand the dynamic that this is, that you have to understand the relational care, character of mm-hmm. male, female, and Hebrew thought. Um, and so when you, when you look at those laws, everything from the laws on childbirth to sexual assault, the sexual assault laws uh, particularly um, uh, compared to even modern law, mm-hmm. you could make the case that it puts the woman at, at an advantage legally. Wow. Um, and it sides with the victim. It 
uh, it takes her word um, as sufficient evidence to convict the man of the crime. Uh, rape is put on par with murder in terms of an unconsenting victim. So basically, nobody asked her what she was wearing mm, when, yeah, we, when yeah. we get into the law. And so there, it's pretty nuanced. Um, it's pretty nuanced because you got to get into the Hebrew, the language, some of the the factors of it being what's called paradigmatic law or almost like a case law mm-hmm. of how it was applied in other, in other situations. But it, it has a lot to say for our culture now today. Yeah. Um, so this was so, just your dissertation. That was my dissertation. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to stop here just a second and say like, were you like sitting in math class one day in high school and thinking, I would really like to spend the rest of my life studying how the old Testament law applies to women. Oh no. No, no, no. I was sitting through math class going, why do I have to be here? Well, no, yeah. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't? Uh, yeah. So I uh, I was called to ministry right after graduating college. Okay. And uh, didn't see it coming. I went to Union University in well, Jackson, I've Tennessee. Heard, yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, it's right in your backyard. So uh, fun fact, Dr. David Dockery was the president there yeah, I know, when yeah. I was there. And now he's on faculty here at Southwestern, which is does he report cool. to you? That would be so awesome. Yeah, right. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no, there are some people who will forever be, no matter how educated you are, their first name will always be doctor. Yeah, and that's he's true. one of them. That's so uh, he's incredible. Uh, we just started something called Society for Women in Scholarship at Southwestern, and he was our first guest, and he was phenomenal. People just, uh, they, they loved him. He was just this wealth of information. Anyway, I um, I graduated from Union. I was a music major, and um, I had planned to do a master's in music, mm-hmm. and uh, was called to ministry from serving my church. That it was through serving in my church that that the Lord inclined my heart to ministry. Wow! Um, and so moved to Southwestern about seven months later, and uh, have never left. I'm an adopted Texan. That's what I say. Depending oh. on the Texan, they say, oh, that's really sweet. And then the other ones will say, oh, honey, you just think that. Yeah, so. well, mess with Texas is my motto. So you say what you want to. <laughs> so you are, I mentioned at the outset, you're kind of an anomaly. Um, but you're a, you're, you seem especially to be anomalous in Southern Baptist life. Um, Southern Baptists have uh, ongoing um, conversations, debates, slash arguments over um, – theology and men and women and roles and all those kinds of things. So how odd, I don't want to, I don't want to assume that it was difficult for you, but how different was it for you as a female studying specifically theology in a Southern Baptist context? So I think my experience uh, probably surprises people when I describe it. I, I always felt extraordinarily supported through my studies, um, that came first from my family. I have two parents who are very pro-education. Um, my dad asked this phrase, nobody ever regretted getting more education. And so it was just a matter of how, how far do you want to go and how can we support you? Within Southwestern, I felt very supported. And, um, uh, of course, I was there through my Ph.D. under um, Dr. Patterson. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I will forever be grateful to him for giving me a start with that. I see how particularly on the topic of gender, gender roles, we have opportunities to improve that conversation. Mm -hmm. We have opportunities to think uh, beyond some cultural expressions and look at uh, what does the Bible really say and how does it apply to us? 
Um, and then I mentioned to you, uh, Malcolm Urnell, I, other than my parents, I don't think I've ever had a, a such a champion for women in theological education than Malcolm Urnell. And you see that even um, in his his wife, Karen, is a theolog- theologian in her own right mm-hmm. as well. So I, I think as much as it might seem like I'm an anomaly, I don't know that I am. I think there are actually a lot of us out there. There's a new crop of female theologians graduating from our SBC seminaries, and they are stout. I mean, they are sharp minds, well-read, thoughtful scholars. Um, the challenge is, frankly, whenever we talk about women in scholarship, we talk about it within the context of, quote, women's issues. Mm-hmm. And and women's issues tends to be reduced to roles, and mm-hmm. roles tends to be reduced to some sort of spectrum of submission. And so when when we're talking about women in theology, sometimes it seems like we're an anomaly because it's such a narrow conversation when you even see us, when you even see us around. So I think that might be that might be some of it um, is is that as we're talking about how to integrate women into theological conversations more, I think we need to be integrating women into more theological conversations than just gender. Why? Uh, oh, good question. So for one, if you're going to take it all the way back to Genesis, if women and men are equally in God's image, that means our minds are equally uh, created to image God in our intellects. So therefore, women's minds bring something to the church that uh, if you were to sort of separate that, you're missing half the church, half the kingdom, mm-hmm. half the contribution that should be uh, participating in the body it not only ministerially but also intellectually as well. Um, we we get into this question of of should women be we need women's perspectives in let's say ecclesiology or soteriology. I I get a, a little nervous with that because if it's something objectively factual, it's objectively factual. Perspective and experience shouldn't be changing that. It might change how we communicate it. It might change how we uh, approach it, but uh, with that, it should absolutely be the entire body of Christ participating in it, male or female, to the same degree and expectation of rigor, by the way. One of my pet peeves is when we have different standards for scholarship for women than we do for men. Oh, I would make it Um, harder. You, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Because I don't want to be shown up, so I would make it harder for y'all. Okay, so I have a, I have an example uh, that I, I think fits what you're saying, uh, but it may actually be outside a little bit what you're saying. So a number of years ago, probably more than 20, I was teaching a uh, co-ed uh, Sunday school class. And um, golly, this was at least 25 years ago, I think. It was a, it was a long time. Anyway, um, and so it was, uh, I think it was all single adults, but one of the one of the people, her mother was there that particular Sunday and her mother was older than me by probably, I mean, she's probably my age now. And I was teaching on Job and I went on the normal rant about Job's wife, um, that most unfortunately pastors do. And, um, after I'd finished the rant about how awful a woman Job's wife was, uh, she raised her hand and said, um, you know, I think we need to keep in mind that Job's wife had just lost all of her children. And there was an yeah. emotional response that she was having that Job either wasn't having or it was playing out in a different way in his life because she's a woman. She's a mom. She just lost all of her kids. 
and there's some there's some factors and so she's talked about that a little bit and I th- <laughs> and I was like well okay I've never ever ever even thought about that and the main reason I'd never thought about that is because I've never been a mother you know I'd never well one I'd never lost a child two I'd never been a mother who lost a child so that was my real first experience that just being different brings an understanding to the scripture that I don't get out of the box. Um, and of course that plays out in a lot of other different ways where you're raised in the world, the racial uh, experiences that you have. Um, it, it doesn't change the truth of the scripture, but it does give different insight to the truth of the scripture. And I think that's where a lot of Southern Baptists anyway, um, miss the boat because we're, some people seem to be thinking that, well, women giving their opinion or whatever their interpretation is dangerous because it's feminist. Well, the way that women experience life gives insight into life. That's different than the way men experience life. And I think we do need each other, even when it's theological. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. But you're supposed you're to, you're supposed to raise your hand and say, the... Amen. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Was I not a submissive woman just then? Should we rewind? We're going to edit that part out and give you an opportunity to repent live. <laughs> so I think the, the Job's wife example is a it's a perfect example because what you're describing is, is just bringing mm-hmm. our humanity to when we're reading scripture and, and bringing our humanity to our theology. And it reminds me of um, when Calvin said in the Institutes, like before we understand God, we understand ourselves, that there's this uh, dynamic relationship between the two. It's not that it changes the truth. Um, it's not that it, truth is any uh, somehow subjective in any way, but we bring who we are to the reading of it. And, and with that, we mm. change each other. There's that aspect of community of, of understanding these relationships. And I, I think, especially when we're talking about male, female issues in the church, we end up so emphasizing men do this job, women do this job that we miss the mm. relational character. And that's something where if I am an anomaly at all on this topic, it's on that. I would rather talk about the paradigm of a relationship than get hung up on the specific expression mm-hmm. of roles. I've, I've seen how that plays out. Um, I don't know that it has helped us in evangelicalism and especially in the Southern Baptist Convention because we are always talking about it in this spectrum. So when somebody does something that doesn't fit with where we think it should fall on this spectrum, uh, it's it's just we freak out and it's a Twitter war um, because we're we're trying to condense it to a particular role. Uh, well, why don't we take a quick break uh, for an advertisement and we'll be right back after this. So, what does it take to keep uncommentary on the air? Uh, technically, it doesn't cost a lot. Um, there's costs associated with editing. There's costs associated with scheduling. And there's not a lot more, but nobody gets rich off of podcasts that they do from their room and their home. Uh, it's all about getting the content out and uh, doing what people uh, like and maybe even need to hear. So I do want to encourage you to become a Patreon uh, or at least maybe a one-time gift. Uh, if you go to patreon.com slash uncommentary, you can become a supporter for as little as two bucks a month. I mean, that's like foregoing a 20-ounce Coke one time a month. And you can become a uh, $2 a month contributor 
supporter level. Uh, if you choose the $3 a month, you'll get a podcast logo, an uncommentary podcast logo. If you choose $5, the gold level, you'll get a mug. And these are actually pretty nice um, mugs. If you choose $10, you'll get a sticker and a mug. Uh, if you go above that, then there's other stuff. I mean, if you've just got like money to spare and you want to give $250 a month, we could really do some upgrades around here. Um, but the reality is it doesn't take a lot. And uh, a little bit helps out a ton and makes it worthwhile. And occasionally, I can take my wife out for a meal. Uh, if you'd rather do a one-time thing, you can use PayPal, paypal.me slash uncommentarypod. That's paypal.me slash uncommentarypod. Or Patreon is monthly. And these are uh, auto drafts, so you don't have to write checks. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to go back to the website. Uh, the $2 is gone. The $3 is gone. And really, uh, you never miss it. So that's patreon.com slash uncommentary as well. And now back to this week's episode. Okay, so gender relationships versus roles. Go ahead and jump into that. So one of the things that we we hear um, packaged and repackaged differently is when we talk about women in the church, we talk about women's roles. I don't think that's necessarily wrong, but I think it's incomplete. Um, when we're talking about roles, as I mentioned, we discuss it on on a spectrum instead of talking about this dynamic relationship. And I think what we see all the way back in Genesis is uh, the character of male-female interaction. Mm -hmm. It's relational. Um, before we talk about roles at all, and, and of course that, that word does not show up in Genesis 2. We're looking for the nuances mm -hmm. of how they relate. But in Genesis 1, you have two people who not only equally image God, but they have the same mission, the same calling, the same responsibility. And, and I think we gloss over that. And what happens is, at best, we sort of take for granted the fact that we are all saying we believe women are equal to men. And we don't really flesh that out, much less build our theology on it. But then at worst, it ends up being lip service to women's equality. And, and you, keep, you keep emphasizing roles so much that eventually, whether you believe this or not, it's going to end up um, expressing a different ontology, a different, like, a different uh, mm -hmm. being or essence. We're starting to get into like, kind of the, the philosophical terms. But, the, but I, I'm concerned whenever we talk about women's roles that we talk about that in terms of mm -hmm. a job or um, a position on a chain of command. And I don't think we see that in Scripture. We see we see relationships of authority. We see responsibility, um, but but we don't see necessarily what what I would call sort of this this pyramid of rule. Um, in fact, this intersects with some some other conversations happening in the SBC right now as, as well, like mm -hmm. critical race theory. Um, my, my personal belief is anytime you have a worldview that hinges on a power dynamic, you're dealing with something that's antithetical mm -hmm. to Christianity because what law do we live by, mm -hmm. but the law of love and what is love, love? We love the Lord. We love our neighbor that, that expresses itself in obedience and holiness, of course, but, but there's not room for a power dynamic in this. So one of the things that I'm concerned about uh, among well-meaning complementarians is that in an effort to parse out the specific the specificities of how do we work this out in our churches and homes, yeah, how do we do that? 
uh, we end up we end up making it into uh, either giving lip service to women's equality or um, we we. That's I right, uh, because I have a question that. that I think you'll uh, will get you back. the The overemphasis hey. on roles leads to a new legalism, right? I think it does. I really think it does. And and interestingly, when you look at some of the conversations happening in evangelicalism, specifically among our tradition, Southern Baptists, it seems to just be mm-hmm. about the women question. And maybe that's an well, I was thinking just the, yeah, I was Perhaps thinking just the other day though that the how many times you hear the question, uh, what can a woman do in church, or how can a woman serve mm-hmm. in church? You never hear the question, how can a man serve in church? Uh, it's it's assumed that yeah. a man can do anything in church, almost regardless of whether he's qualified or not. But a woman has to go through a list exactly. of qualifications that starts with the fact that she's a woman. And to be like mm-hmm. even handed about it, if we're going to ask the question, what ministry roles can a woman do in church? We have to ask the question, what ministry roles can a man do in church? Because if he's disqualified himself in some way, then he he is also limited in what he might or might not be able to do. Exactly. So not only are we talking about uh, a ministry, like let's say the pastoral ministry that that only qualified men can do, but, but that actually, that knocks out yeah, most exactly. of the men in your church too. We don't, we don't <laughs> think about it in those terms. Um, and so, yeah, the question of what can a woman do in the church when, when we look at it just theologically, let, like, let's just take the, the one debated passage for Timothy two. Don't allow a woman to teach or have authority over men in the church. Okay. Everybody would agree Paul's talking about the pastoral role, how that extends beyond the pastoral role tends to be some of the, the subject of debate of, and we've seen that recently in the last, in the last year or so, especially, but um, when we, when we start talking about what can a woman do in church, I think, I think we're kind of already off on the wrong foot. It's what has God gifted this woman to do? And how can how can she contribute to the ministry of the church? How can she contribute to the ministry of the kingdom? Well, so instead of talking about it from this place of, well, you can't you can't do this. This is off limits. And there again, we're we're emphasizing the role instead of the relationship and the gifts that she brings mm-hmm. to her church to her community. So, um, but interestingly, we really only do this um, when when we're talking about the the woman question of. Uh, we, I think we emphasize the woman question so much. What can a woman do in church and how should we have uh, uniformity or conformity in all of our churches mm-hmm. on the woman question? Um, somebody could be free to debate me on that. I'll show up for it because I think it's something that that we see over and over again. You know, we have we have pastors who will partner with our Presbyterian friends uh, in ministry, we disagree on baptism. <laughs> baptism. I baptism. mean, that's kind of a that's kind of a thing, right? <laughs> yeah, it's just it's, it, this isn't that's not like a light issue or a side issue. But then, when it comes to not just what can a woman do in the church, but different churches uh, expressing that in nuanced ways, uh, all of a sudden. There has to yeah. be total conformity. There has to be total unity. And uh, for some reason, this is something I am concerned about for among Southern Baptists. It it concerns me that we forget to be Baptists on this question. 
that there are some things upon which we will all agree that would be a violation of God's word. That would be clearly overstepping the bounds of scripture. We would be sitting in our church if we did this. There are other things where I think we have to have, um, dare I say, grace for each other and say, okay, this church applies this passage differently. Um, but for whatever reason, it's like we just kind of stop being Baptists when we talk about the is, woman question, and it just doesn't make a bit of sense to me. especially frustrating when you see people who are uh, hyper-vigilant about the woman question, and it seems like their uh, secular political alliances are such that, um, uh, shall we say, um, they're in bed with almost every flea-bitten dog uh, that comes around. Man, Marty, I feel like I could ask you that question because I feel like you know you're gonna go with it. That was quite a that was quite a setup. Uh, I'd have to think. How about this? I'll have to think about that and get back with you. Well, I will answer the question. Uh, it 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 does bother go me for it. Uh, when people are hyper vigilant about some issues regarding women. Um, generally, I'm not even going to be specific, uh, but but there's this. Uh, instantaneous almost response if uh, if it's perceived that a woman has gotten out of her lane, uh, especially a woman who mm-hmm. is theologically astute or who you know has Bible teaching ability um, and has chosen to um, basically manifest themselves publicly in a way that uh, they feel comfortable with and they have some amount of authority uh, behind them. Uh, and <clears throat> some of their critics then. Um, would align with virtually anyone to achieve some political goal. And I, I think the, mm-hmm. the the crossing of kingdoms, uh, the erroneous crossing of kingdom goals, let me say it that way, uh, is substantially damaging to the witness of, the, of Christ. And uh, I think we will see a, an accounting uh, both in eternity, uh, of course, that's up to Jesus, uh, but here, uh, and I think we're already seeing that in uh, in the response of people uh, to the church based on what they feel like the evangelical witness has become, let's just say, over the last 10 years. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm with you there that this hypervigilance about what a woman should or shouldn't do or should or shouldn't say has almost reached a uh, you know, number one triage level to use uh, Dr. Moeller's thing mm-hmm. um, and, and things that I look at and say, well, that looks like a, that's like a 0.5. That's even before a one, you know, um, almost they get brushed aside for some political goal or achievement or something like that. That's a good point. Uh, and I think you, you could solve that question and resolve that, that conflict by just having uh, a degree, just a smidge of generosity on the question to those uh, with whom you disagree, those in different churches. Um, here's, here's something that I see too, and, and we're going to talk about if we're talking about this in terms of like responsibility and relationship. Um, when Beth Moore last sorry, who? year, um, Beth, Oh, Beth, Beth Moore. Moore. Yeah. Yep. I've heard of her. We're going there. Um, yeah. So when she announced that she was preaching yes. on Mother's Day, now that's a separate that's a separate conversation that that we could have of whether whether that is okay. right or not. Okay. Uh, clarifying question um, right up front. Did mm-hmm. I, and I, I, I actually don't remember this. <clears throat> I don't remember the answer to this. So this is an honest question. Did she say she was preaching on Mother's Day, or did she say she was teaching on Mother's Day, and others said she was preaching on Mother's Day? 
I believe she okay. said okay. she okay. was fine. preaching. I, just, I wasn't sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and then that led to, and I have to find the original tweet that led to other people say I am too, or, uh, different, different habits in, in churches. So again, that's a separate conversation of, of whether or not that, that would be mm-hmm. a right sure. thing in, in your church. I don't even want to get into that. But one thing I did notice is, can anybody name the pastor of the church to which she was invited to preach on Mother's Day? I mean, I assume she didn't just bulldoze her way in. She was invited. But does anybody talk about the pastor? No. Why? Why Why would that be? If we're talking about men being leaders in their churches and their homes, you would expect the onus of responsibility to be with that pastor. But instead, what we saw was this barrage of tweets and articles and uh, just some downright horrible attacks on the woman. That's an issue that mm-hmm. I that I have. Um, and, and I think if we're going to have productive conversations about it, have, have conversations about, you know, would it be appropriate for women to preach on a Sunday morning? Uh that's that's a legitimate question, but when we're directing it to um, mm-hmm. just the woman, and we're we're not even considering that you know, so so there's a pastor mm-hmm. who invited her to do this, and he was presumably a Southern Baptist pastor. Wouldn't that be if you have a problem? Wouldn't that be the problem? But yeah. we don't hear about that problem. And I can tell you that I sat in a room of women uh, whose names you would know, and they were. Uh, a bit shaken by the way that this, uh, for many of them, a mother in the faith was treated publicly. And they thought, my word, if that could happen to her, what am I in for if I make a mistake? And so I don't think people realize the, the, the damage that can be done by the just simplest, the simply the, the tone, the tone of the hook of the conversation. Um, there are some things that, that we can die on the hill together on, and then there are other things where we just say, you know what, I'm not going to go to your church. Yeah, and that's it. Um, so gender, genders, uh, g- genders speaking generally, um, it seems like in in our current context, because there's a lot to do with gender outside the church. Just so, just in in culture in general, and it seems like some people make too much of gender, and some people make too little of gender as if gender is everything, or on the other hand, gender really is nothing. Mm. Um, talk a little mm. bit about what you perceive scripturally gender is about and why, and is it important to maintain the distinctions of male and female gender and, and why? It absolutely is important because gender, like other aspects of our humanity, is created not only in God's image, but to image God. And so men by their maleness are imaging something about God. Women in their femaleness are imaging something about God together as well. There's an element uh, of what, what Bart identified that in relationship to each other, uh, that relationship itself mm-hmm. images God. Uh, that's not the extent of it. An individual fully is in the image of God as well. So our genders are uh, not self-determined. They're God-given. They're created factors of our being and and it's it's one aspect that we can identify within our humanity and yet it is um in concert and in harmony with the whole of who we are as a person you can't you can't separate gender 
from your humanity. We even see that biologically science is, is catching up to the differences between male and female, and they cannot be reduced to reproduction or reproductive biology. Down to the left ventricle of your heart, it is different in male and female, something in the the stomach and the skin organs. They're different. It's irreducibly complex. Uh, Our genders uh, biologically, um, and that's speaking to biological sex, but with that, it, it is in harmony with the distinction of our gender. It's, it's, we are a united whole, obviously because of sin, that wholeness is broken. Um, and, and we're, we see the effects of that in among the transgender community, that there's this disconnect between how my body was created and how I believe myself to be. Let me interrupt right there for anybody who's listening, who, who isn't, uh, up, up, up to date fully on Christian theology. When Katie said just then that the result of sin, she's not talking about a person's individual sin. Um, so we moved directly into mm-hmm. the transgender conversation. So she's not saying that a person who has gender dysphoria or some kind of confusion or is transgender is sinning. That's not what she's saying. Uh, she's saying that these types of things are the result of sin being in the world, just like every other bad thing that we experience. So I just want to clarify in case you're thinking, in case your mind went directly to, She's calling everybody who uh, is in this a sinner. That's well, that's a different conversation still. But it's not it's not directly <laughs> sin that she's referring to that has caused not the personal sin has caused this. It's the effects of sin in our world has caused a lot of these things we're dealing with. Okay, go ahead. I'm glad you brought that up because there was a study in the last couple of years talking about rapid onset wow. gender dysphoria among teenage girls. And so there was this phenomenon where uh, all these teenage girls who had not expressed any gender dysphoria in their childhood, which is typically where mm-hmm. parents think they're they're seeing it, um, it, all of a sudden they said they wake up and they go, you know, I think I'm actually male. I think I'm trans. And one of the things that this study found was that uh, transgenderism among teenagers was a peer contagion. And what they meant by that is it's influenced by their mm-hmm. their peers. It's uh, it's something where uh, one girl sees all the positive attention that another person does for mm-hmm. coming out as trans. Um, and then overwhelmingly, these girls with rapid onset gender dysphoria had some sort of trauma wow. in the last year. So like so many other things, this was this was the numbing agent. This was the drug. This was the let me focus on this and mm-hmm. and not think about the abuse, the divorce, the bullying, the, the, it was something else that was happening. So all of that speaks to uh, how we understand ourselves, who we are, our value, how we relate to ourselves and how we relate to God. Uh, gender itself is vital for how we, how we understand that. I think too, we see, go do, you could go do a study of this, look at how Jesus interacted with men, his male disciples and how he interacted with his female disciples. And he doesn't even talk to women the same way. There is a special gentleness that he reserves when he rebukes, mm-hmm. even rebukes a woman. Um, his male disciples, he's saying stuff like faithless generation. How long am I going to have to put up with you? <laughs> Jesus was uh, listen. Jesus was Southern Baptist. There is no doubt about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then he he talks to a woman who uh, is this isolated, ostracized woman, mm-hmm. and calls her daughter. And there's a difference. There's such a difference in how he interacts. I think that we can understand the difference in gender 
with that too, of how did the Lord interact differently with men and women? And what is he telling us about that? So gender itself, it is important. We must maintain the distinctions. I think, however, that we we don't focus on fulfilling the meaning of our gender first by taking up a role or a task. That's something that we do. Rather, we focus first on our relationship with our creator, being reconciled to our creator. And as we fully submit ourselves to our creator and become who he has designed us to be, we embody and fulfill what it means to be male and female. And honestly, Marty, I'm even okay with not us not fully understanding yeah. what that is. I mean, we, we didn't create it. How do we know what is to be fully expressed in our lives through our genders? If that is, if we are God's creation and he has a design and plan for male, for maleness and femaleness, manhood, and womanhood, then as we are adhering and submitting ourselves to his word in our relationships, then he would be the one who's drawing that out in us. He would be the one who is fulfilling that in us. Not necessarily that we are trying to uh, legislate or make ourselves adhere to this mm-hmm. external role that we put on. So I think that is really the difference is if we approach it first from relationship, I think we've already started from a different paradigm. This is Marty Duran. I've been talking to Dr. Katie McCoy, who is, uh, this has just been a fascinating conversation. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Wait a minute, you're on Twitter. You're at Bond Orthodoxy. Is that right? Of course, if the, if the lockdown continues, it's going to end up being at formerly blonde orthodoxy, right? That's what I said. I actually just tweeted that. I was like, it's going to have to be at, is she really a blonde orthodoxy? Awesome. So, um, yeah, do you have any books or anything yet? No, no. It's more just some articles. It's more okay. online, uh, some journal articles, uh, okay. working on it, working on it. As always, thank you for listening to Uncommentary. If you'd like to keep up with me on Twitter, it's at Marty Duran. If you'd like to follow the podcast account, it's at Uncommentary Pod. Please rate and review. And whichever podcatcher you listen to, uh, whether it's uh, Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Podbean uh, or Overcast or CastBox, whichever one you use, uh, if you can rate and review, then that would be awesome. It just helps with search results and gives some credibility uh, to the podcast itself. Uh, and as you have an opportunity, if you would promote it, whether you uh, put the link from uncommentarypodcast.com uh, on your Facebook page or if you tweet the link or retweet the uh, the initial broadcast that it's live, uh, anything like that to help spread the word is always appreciated. And as always, uh, Solideo Gloria, this is Marty Duran for Uncommentary Podcast. Mm-hmm.